Welcome to Fashion Your Seatbelt, your first class seat to one-on-one conversations with the fashion industry's top voices. I'm Jessica Michaud, and I created this podcast to share the joy I have in getting to know all the amazing people who bring this creative, inventive, and extraordinary business to life. You'll get to hear the cadence of their voices, the sound of their laughter, and feel firsthand how passionate they are about what they do. Also, I just want to remind you to leave a review. Stars are really trending right now, and it helps other very stylish listeners like yourself find the show. Now buckle up, and let's get started. The world is starting to get back to work, which means many women are turning to shapewear brands to help counteract the last few months of comfort food consumption. So I thought this would be the perfect time to chat with Jens Greed. Jens is the partner and board director of Kim Kardashian West's shapewear brand, Skims. And the Sweden native is a savvy fashion executive whose eccentric career path has given him quite a unique and clear-eyed perspective on the industry. After a stint working in the interior design magazine Wallpaper at the start of his career, at the tender age of 25, Jens decided to start Saturday, a London-based creative agency. He launched it in 2003 with his business partner, Eric Tortensen. The organization quickly grew to include a stable of companies focused on everything from brand management, public relations, and art direction, to talent brokering, e-commerce, and publishing, in the form of the highly respected industry magazine. Later renamed Saturday Group, with offices in the four fashion capitals, the business eventually also also dove into the apparel side of fashion when in 2012 it debuted the well-regarded California lifestyle brand Frame. Today, along with his duties as co-executive chairman and co-executive creative director of Frame, Jens has also taken up the task of scaling the shapewear phenomenon that is Skims. The brainchild of Kim Kardashian West, the company has seen exponential growth since its launch in September 2019. Its inclusive approach to shapewear with its broad size range and extensive skin tone color options has seen the company sell out most of its stock within 24 hours of a drop and has garnered an enviable loyal client base with 38% of first-time shoppers becoming returning customers. During our Zoom video call, Jens and I talked about the difficulties of trying to break into a market that is dominated by a single player, how hands-on Kim is with the creative direction of the company, the clear advantage of e-commerce-focused businesses built on transparency, and how Jens plans to expand the growing Skims empire into new categories. Just on a technical side note, I did want to let all you listeners know that because Jens and I did our interview over Zoom video, you might pick up on a couple of very minor audio issues. And if you happen to be more of a visual learner, feel free to head over to my signature YouTube channel to watch the video version of this podcast in action. Okay, now it's time to discover just how Jens sees the future of both fashion and skims. Jens, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. I'm really excited to hear all about the company uh, Skims. I just wanted to know, how did you first connect with the brand in the beginning? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm a big fan. I'm so excited to join you guys this morning. (laughs) How I first got connected to Skims. Well, Skims was an idea that really kind of grew up over a couple of years. It really wasn't like let's do this and then the next day it was done. It started, I think maybe almost about three years ago today. Kim really had a vision of what she wanted to create from a shapewear point of view. And I was really enthusiastic by it. I think she has more knowledge about the category than anyone I've ever met. She certainly helped make the category famous in the first place. She's an avid user and she's had the, she's had the opportunity 
to really try the market, really test, cut up, work with seamstresses, tailor things to her body. And she felt she wanted to be able to give everyone else the same opportunity that she's had and to learn from everything that she's gone through and, and put that into a product. At the same time, I was very interested in the underwear space in general. Oh. Just felt that the market had gotten so stale. Victoria's Secret was such a dominant player mm-hmm. in America. And if I want to buy a car, I have 20 or 30 brands to choose from and they're great. If you and I want to have lunch, you know, we'll probably end up spending a good half hour just discussing which one of the delicious options that we'll go for. And in the underwear segment, that wasn't the case. Victoria's Secret had a very large share of the market, tightly followed by a few department store chains. They were all downtrending. And I just thought it was a very stale market that was really ripe for disruption. And Kim felt the same way. So it was a conversation that started three years ago and it kind of grew and, and morphed and, and, and became Skims over time. I know when I interviewed Kim for her cover story for Vogue Japan, it was, I was impressed by how much research had gone into the, all of the different aspects of the shapewear and the, not just the, the different aspects, the single leg and things like that, but also you know the thinking of the different shades, the different sizes. I mean, was that part of the conception from the beginning, the, that aspect of it. And, and, again, and, I, and again, what you were saying earlier about, you know, there being one dominant player in the market, both for the underwear segment, and then also you can talk mm-hmm. about the biggest, you know, in the shapewear, there was one name, Spanx, right? But she really, together, both of you really revolutionized it. But I wanted to know, were all of those aspects really there from the jump, this idea of inclusivity and the, the different aspects of the color and the tones? Inclusivity in every way, shape, or form was absolutely there from the first moment. I think that was the core of her vision and really what attracted me to it. My wife is the co-founder of a brand called Good American. So I think I've been hammered with the power of inclusivity uh, for, for, for quite some time now. And uh, that aside, it's, it's, it's also good business. I just don't understand which era retail continue to uh, to live in but it's certainly not mine mm-hmm. and i don't know which body type most of fashion creates for because it is not the bodies that surrounds me and i think we will all we all kind of can empathize with that so i think any modern brand today have to put inclusivity uh, at the heart of what they do it no, shouldn't I- even be and i don't even know if this was like oh yeah, let's be inclusive. I think we are naturally inclusive people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I think, I think that one of the things, you know, when you talked about Good American, clearly inclusivity, my daughters and I are huge fans of, of that as well and, and, def- and customers. So that idea of inclusivity, different sizes, different shapes is clearly something that, that the Kardashian women can all relate to. Mm-hmm. And, but I do want to talk, go circle back around a little bit to this idea of when you have somebody like, a, a dominant player in a field like that. Mm-hmm. How do you strategically, um, you know, break into that market when it's so dominated by Victoria's Secret or so dominated by another brand? What is the way that you approach 
to to break through that noise, break through that monolith that is that brand. Dominant player, or when you have a uh, a few dominant players, tends to be a great place for disruption. When a player is too dominant in any category, they tend to be less innovative because they don't really have to be. They tend to develop slower in their response to what's happening in, you know, in the consumer's lives. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, brand is there to serve a consumer. It's there to do something for you. It's not for me, it's for you. And big brands tend to be a little bit too focused on what they, what they are doing, not necessarily what you need. And I feel in this case with Victoria's Secrets, and I'm certainly not the first person to say it, that their brand image and their values didn't seem to sit right with this generation. Agreed. And I think in terms of Spanx, by the way, they make a wonderful product. And I think Sarah Blakely is an inspiration. I think it's a phenomenal, phenomenal brand. But we don't want to live in, in, in a world where there's only one option. And I think Spanx caters extremely well to her customer. And I think she's doing a great job. But that we just saw an opportunity to cater to a different customer that needed something slightly different out of our product. Well, talk to me a little bit about the differences. I mean, one of the key things in the, the shapewear space is the technology that goes into the actual fabrics, um, the materials that you're using. How do you differentiate yourself with skims in that aspect of the product? How are you, what, what materials are you using? What techniques are you using, you know, of the moment, latest technology that you're using to make it the most innovative as possible? The starting point is what you want to achieve. What we wanted to achieve is to accentuate your shape. And some brands are more focused on perhaps flattening and holding you in. And Skims really is working with your body and making the most of the curves that you have or accentuating the curves that you have. So it's slightly a different perspective uh, on, on, on how the product is used and what you want it to do for you. So that was the starting point that we didn't feel on the market. There's, that there was something that really accentuated your shape. We also felt that there was an issue just with the level of comfort if you wanted to wear it as a daily garment. Mm -hmm. So that, that was really the starting point. How do, we, how do we accentuate shape, make the most of what you have, and how do we develop it with the comfort so you can actually wear it and it doesn't become painful. How do we make shape wear something that is flattering and something you can be proud of, not necessarily something that you hide? That's a good so, point. Yeah, so to do that, we really had to develop our own fabrications. Okay. And that took almost two years of work to develop kind of the skims suite of uh, fabrications. And in the apparel world and in, in fashion, some of the greatest brands are really formed around a unique fabric. If you guys go to Lululemon and you touch Lululemon, it has a specific feel to it. Mm -hmm. we, we can almost, we can almost, if we close our eyes, we, we know what Lululemon should feel like. We know what Nike dry fit feels like. Mm -hmm. And in the same vein, we want you as a customer to know what a Skims product should feel like. So we had to start from scratch and it was, a, it was a great luxury to be able to spend so long developing a fabric and so rewarding that the customer loved what we did. So you tell me that you have a, you have a intimate understanding of how the fabric feels. Can you talk to me about that? I mean, I know it's a women's line for the moment, 
But I mean, can you describe a little bit for those of us who haven't yet had the, the pleasure of, of trying it out? What what is the what makes it distinctive? How does that fabric feel when you think about it? Primarily, it's the comfort level. It's something that you will be you can happily wear for a longer period of time. Now, personally, I work with fabrications. I work with fashion, and I approach it from a technical point of view. Kim is creative director. She's a part of this. She directs every single product. She's unbelievably involved every single day in making the product experience exactly what she wants it to be. Mm -hmm. And my role is more to facilitate that. So, of course, I'm not someone who puts on skims myself in the morning currently. <laughs> yes, let's put a pin in that. Currently, I wish and I hope that someday soon I will. But but really, the comfort level is the uh, the comfort level is 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 the big point of difference, and we achieve that through our own blend, our own quality nylons, and innovative knitting techniques such as four-way stretch and so okay. forth. Well, tell me a little bit about one of your favorite memories so far or you know moments you know you've gotten a lot of joy out of this experience or feedback that you've really loved you know of somebody experiencing skims for the first time what it, what kind of great memories do you have so far in this in this voyage with this brand first and foremost just customer feedback you you know when you've done something special when people love what you do and i think whatever you do you want you want people to love it not just like it mm -hmm. and i think there is a and a tremendous difference between like and love. Yes. We go through our days, we constantly interact with things, we kind of get on with okay, okay, we like it, but do, but do we love it? And when we put out skins to the market, you never know how things will go. You know, you prepared, you like what you're doing. You know, I felt that the brand was unbelievably strong, that the image was different, but it's untested. And I think when you get that first wave of customer affirmation, that really is the greatest moment. And I think Kim would say the same thing, just a response from, from customers. And, and we can see that because our return rates are unbelievably low. So they must love it. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. Do you have a, a moment where I'm trying to think of like, I always like to ask all of my interviewers, like, was there a moment in, during the process that was a, a challenge or a misstep or something that you really felt that you learned from and then pivoted the brand in a different way? Something that you, I always like to ask that because I think that those experiences aren't mistakes. I think they're just points of learning. And I wanted to know if there was a moment for you that you really felt like, okay, we've learned from that and we're going to go in this direction and we're going to adjust in this way. We made a hundred mistakes. Obviously, one stands out a little bit more than the others. And when we first announced that we were going to name the company Kimono, the public backlash was, was, was really deafening. And of course, we, we heard it and we heard it right away. And uh, we took two steps back and we, you know, addressed our launch plans and we pushed that back. And we took the cost and the pain of bringing it back to market under the name of Skims. And at that point, of course, you're very nervous. Mm -hmm. it's, it's never great to be in the press for something that is less than flattering. And, and we certainly never intended it to be in any shape or way form offensive. And we're very, very sorry if we did offend anyone. So we were quickly to address that. It was just not our intention. And uh, 
we listened and we, 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 we changed course. Well, I think that that's really a, a, a quite an indi very indicative of the brand itself in the sense that you and Kim and, and the entire team listened to the consumer. And I would, I would argue that by doing that, you've created more brand loyalty in the end you know, for the product. And especially today, when people are, are being very careful with their dollars and deciding what they're going to spend money on, like you said, there's a big difference between like and love. And I think that what you're talking about, it's going to create brand loyalty even more. When you feel, when customers feel heard and listened to, I think that really creates a feeling of community in a way that doesn't really exist otherwise. But I do want to ask you something about the fact that you actually don't just run this company, you also are the, the co-executive chairman for Frame as well. I mean, you're doing two full-time jobs at the same time. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I founded Frame together with my partner, Eric, and uh, I remain co-creative director of Frame and, and chairman. We had a new CEO, so at least I could let go of that title. <laughs> and it's, it's so good to work with people that are much more talented than myself. It's very reassuring. And um, we had um, Nicholas Dreyfus, who used to be the CEO of Couples, just stepped in as the new CEO of Frame. But I continue to work with Frame creatively and with the strategy of the company uh, every single day. Frame is my baby. Mm -hmm. I, I love it. I founded it with two friends, uh, started in an apartment in um, just off Abbott Kinney about eight years ago. And it has grown into this global lifestyle brands with dozens of stores. And of course it's sold for every single major department store around the world today. So it's been a, a really amazing journey an amazing second chapter really of my career. Well, let me, let's talk about that. So you've got Frame, huge success that you launched. You, you've got Skims that's, you know, going gangbusters. Can you talk to me about those kind of secret to success? That's the question, I guess. Like you talked about surrounding yourself with people who are smarter than you are is maybe a, a smart move. What are those kind of points that you look at to decide or, or move and make something successful? What are those key kind of pillars that you need to, to get a brand rolling in a great way. Of course, Warren Buffett said that if you surround yourself with people that are taller than you, you will have a company of giants. And I think there's a great truth to that. You always should try to work with the best possible people, the people make the company. I've been part of starting many companies over my career and I continue on the side of my, the things that I'm part of operating hands on, I continue to invest in, in, a, in this generation of retail and apparel, beauty and, and, and consumer goods. The secret is to do it. It sounds crazy, but if you spend too much analyzing it, if you start thinking about products like it is a business, yeah. you tend not to be very successful. And that doesn't go for just the things that I'm involved in. I would say that all consumer products that I know if you start think, approaching it like a business, you might end up trying to be too clever. The way to approach my world is as a consumer. As a designer, you design for the world you want to live in. If you're developing underwear or shapewear, that only works because we're developing something that Kim herself wants. She wants to wear the product she is developing. At Frame, I design for the women and men that surrounds us. I, I believe that to be my number one tip when I speak to young entrepreneurs and when people come to seek investment from me, I say the same thing every single time. Think like a consumer. Mm -hmm. Do you want to buy it? And do you want to pay that? Mm -hmm. That's the, 
it sounds so simple, but, it, but it's, it's crucial. It is crucial, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm a big Buffett fan. And when he talks about picking stocks, he says, pick really great companies. They are so great and idiots can run them because one day an idiot will. And it sounds very simple from the world's second or third richest man. <laughs> so I'm not saying it's all that simple. But really, it is that simple. You just have to have the conviction that you're doing it for yourself and the conviction that this is something you would want to buy, even if you didn't create it. Tell me and a little bit. That, about is, that is really the, the, the key to it. You have to love it. Even if you weren't the creator, you have to be the customer of it. No, that's true. That's true. You have to really love it, you know, love it at, the, at that fundamental point. So I guess my next question for you is, is kind of a double-edged sword. So are sales for skins going through the roof between, because I know you have a whole lounge section, and then of course all of us have been binge eating during the quarantine are going to want to have more skims available when they head back to the office. So how has it been going during this time for you guys? Skims have had a good time. Actually, most online retailers had a great time. Hmm. Across the board, and I'm not just talking about skims, if I look at Frame, if I look at Good American, if I look at my retail partners um, at Nordstrom or even Neiman's and, 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 and Saks, mm -hmm. their online business is up in general about 200 to 300%. Consumer behavior has shifted online. Michael Moritz, the founder of Sequoia, wrote in the Financial Times last week that this crisis has accelerated all the trends that existed in the market by approximately five years. And he said, welcome to 2025, because that's when we are living today. And if you look at the stock market, you can see that the economy is being totally polarized. Shopify hit an all-time high. Mm -hmm. Levi's and VF Corp is trading at half the value. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing this fundamental shift in our economy and in capital from the old economy to the new economy. And again, if you and I are to think as consumers, what are we consuming right now? I am on a Zoom call with you. I'm checking in on my Charles Schwab app. I'm watching Netflix tonight. I'm going to use Postmates because I forgot to go to the supermarket. I actually did forget to go to the supermarket, so I will definitely Postmates. <laughs> and I, I will shop from brands that I trust and brands that can offer me an exceptional service. So if I think like a consumer, there's, our, our behavior is really fundamentally shifted. So Skims business is 90% e-commerce. So we are in a good place. Mm -hmm. We're in a good place. Let me know when you put out the IPO. <laughs> <laughs> I will do. <laughs> Speaking of which, where do you see skims going in the future? Are we going to be seeing a men's rollout that you can wear in the future? I mean, what are, the, what are your plans? You must have a five-year plan. I don't know if we have a five-year plan necessarily. I definitely would love to see men's in the future. <laughs> it is something that we are playing with as we are with multiple categories. Again, if you approach what you do from the point of view what you want, you've got to arrive at a point where you feel that what you have developed is better than anything else in the market. So it's hard for me to say, yeah, we're going to launch men's and we're going to launch men's, men's at this date. We might launch men's, we might not. We will do it if we find that in the development process, we arrive at a place where we have an outstanding product that we feel is distinctively skims. 
if, if we get there, then we will launch men's. But I would say that probably would be true of multiple categories. Okay, let me go ahead and move on into my um, five generic fashion questions. You ready? Yeah. yeah. Okay. The first one is, what is the favorite piece of clothing that you own? Black t-shirts. I have about 200 and I wear them every brand? single day. Are they all Heinz? No, I'm <laughs> what, is, what is your black t-shirt? I'm a, I'm a t-shirt connoisseur. Today I'm wearing a frame black uh, t-shirt. Smart. You know, as I would. Having said that, I'm, I'm, I don't think that I've got or we made the perfect black t-shirt at frame. I'm struggling. T-shirts are unbelievably hard. Really? Unbelievably hard to get right. I, for some reason, for some reason, my favorite black t-shirt right now, and obviously I should not say this, but it's Mr. Porter's own line, Mr. P. Mm -hmm. They are, they're phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And if I feel, you know, I wish I could feel good about paying for it, but Tom Ford has great t-shirts. Okay, interesting. Yeah, it's not the but same you know, you can choose between buying a car and buying a t-shirt, so. <laughs> so true. Tom's stuff's ridiculously expensive. It's just, it's just, it's just hard to, to, to motivate that price, but uh, I do have a few. I do have a few. I'm not going to lie. I do have a few. <laughs> but so then just to, to go down this road a little bit further, what is it about the black t-shirt that you just, why is that your uniform? Age. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm 42, so... You know, you don't want to look at me in off-white. I'm telling you, it's a sad sight. It's like Phil Dunphy gone street. It's horrible. It just, I tried it. I gave up on it. I've settled on a basic uniform now. Mm -hmm. okay. So I, I wear a lot of black t-shirts. We go in the Steve Jobs version, California version. Okay. So, um, that's also sad. I don't want to be that. Like, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't want to be like all the other guys that are coming into middle age wearing black. Damn it, what, what should I do? <laughs> I have no clue. Give me you some guidance. See what else, you can, what else you can come up with at frame. Next question, as everybody is very careful with their money always, but particularly now, what item of clothing do you think that a man or woman should really invest that money in? If that, there was one big ticket item that they really should invest in. That is a good question. I think you should invest in in things that are timeless i think a pair of jeans a a, a good a good pair of jeans and, and a great made t-shirt for a guy is is always should be an investment cheap cheap jeans and t-shirts don't really quite look the same mm -hmm. you know I, I think that's an easy investment to make as a woman what should you invest in you should invest in whatever makes you feel good fashion is about theater it's about you being able to be whoever you want to be in that moment in time fashion is supposed to be an expression of how how you want to feel at a particular time right how do i want to feel at this party i'm going to work on monday how do i want to feel today what kind of woman do i want to be what kind of man do i want to be i that's what I love about fashion. I love the theater of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it no, I agree. It, it's transformative, for sure. For sure. Yeah, it's our, it's our self, it's a form of self-expression. Mm -hmm. For sure. But I tend not to be a big fan of fast fashion. Mm -hmm. I think as a world, we could do with consuming a little bit less and of higher quality. So I would say to everyone, buy things you love. Don't just buy things to buy things, you yeah. know. I think that is the, the lesson of, of this pandemic among many, but I think that's definitely one of them. Yeah, and, and fashion became, if fashion becomes fast food, 
you know, it, it leaves the same feeling afterwards. Very true. So I think we should invest in things that, 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 that hold, that we feel great in. Okay. I'm, I'm curious how you're going to answer this next question. Who is your favorite designer, living or dead? Helmut Lang. He's alive. Yes, he is alive. <laughs> <laughs> He's not designing. No, but he is still For about good. 20 years. And why Helmut? What, what is it about him? So that's, of course, my personal view because it's how I like to work. I see my work as being in the intersection of art and commerce. Mm-hmm. I think Helmut Lang did that beautifully. I personally, uh, his aesthetic resonates with me. But he was also a disruptor of his time. We, the reason why New York Fashion Week for the past 20 years have been the first fashion week every September and February is because Helmut Lang made it so. It That's used true. to be last. It used to be last. And one day he decided, I'm going to put my show, not that anyone is here, I'm just going to put my show before Paris and Milan and London. And that move brought the entire New York Fashion Week up and became the first show. He advertised on taxi cabs in New York City. At the time when advertising on taxi cabs were for gentlemen bars and... uh, you know, ED medication. Mm-hmm. He opened a store which was only dedicated to one single fragrance, one fragrance, one store. And for all the theater, he made clothes that they were great looking clothes, mm-hmm. but at the heart of it was a pair of jeans. Perfect. And the jeans actually made, I think, up about 80% of his business. That's true. That's so true. I just love Helmut Lang. I love the aesthetic. And I just love that he was a disruptor who uh, combined art and commerce in a, in a beautiful way. What trend will you never follow? What trend? Well, I already said streetwear. It just doesn't fit right on me anymore. Okay. I wish. So I tried it. What will I never follow? Short, short pants. No short shorts for you then? Oh, no. I would like to find a pair of shorts that hides my legs, yet doesn't hide my legs. That's so a tall order. It's an impossible equation. So... I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm out of luck. Yeah, you're S out of luck, for sure. (laughs) And you've already answered this question, but I'm going to wrap up with it anyways. What do you love most about fashion? I really do think it is the theater of of dressing and that fashion can have such a profound impact on how we feel that day. It's highly emotional and it's a wonderful thing to, to play with. But what I love about fashion today, more than I've ever loved before, is that I truly believe that a, a brand has to reflect the values of its people. And I think for too long, not just in corporate America, so to speak, we made the distinction between our beliefs, the company's beliefs, and our customers' views. And I, I truly believe that the values of our business should be the value of us as people. Mm-hmm. And I like to reduce that feeling of a corporate veil between customer and, and, and brand. We're all people at the end of the day. And I'm, I'm excited about going into this new future of the other side of this horrible pandemic that is, is causing so much havoc in our lives. I hope that the silver lining is a more mindful tomorrow. I absolutely agree. And that's a great note to leave this on. Jens, thank you so much. Please give my best to Kim and congratulations on all the success with Skims. It's really impressive. I will. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure.
Bye. Don't want to miss an episode of Fashion Your Seatbelt? No problem. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and click on the subscribe button. Then every new episode will drop into your feed automatically. No fuss, no muss. Believe me, I know. I'm Jessica Michaud.